Welcome to Shift, a college admissions, ACT, and SAT podcast for a changing world. I'm Tyler, the founder of Achievable, and we have an affordable ACT course that uses memory-based adaptive learning technology to help you reach your target score. You can get a free trial of Achievable at achievable.me, and if you like it, the code podcast will get you 10% off at checkout. And also, if you have a question or topic you'd like us to discuss in another episode, please contact me at tyler at achievable.me with the subject line podcast topic. Now let's get started. Today we have Sasha Chada from Ivy Scholars, and I love what you're doing with Ivy Scholars, and if you could just introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your sort of passion and mission, that'd be awesome. Thank you so much, Tyler. I really appreciate the invite to the podcast. I'm so excited to be here. By way of introduction, my name is Sasha Chada. I'm the CEO of Ivy Scholars, which I founded seven years ago. We're a candidacy building and college consulting company. So it's our job to take the students who come to us in ninth to 11th grade and help them become the kind of candidates their target colleges want to accept. As you might guess from the name, about 70% of Ivy Scholars cohort wants to go to Ivy League schools. So we've got our work cut out for us. These schools have gotten twice as competitive over the last decade alone. Even since I applied, the field has changed to become drastically tougher. So at Ivy Scholars, it's our job to help students build candidacy before we start working on college applications at all. Unlike a lot of other companies in the college admissions industry, the focus of our work isn't just on essays, though inevitably that's where it ends up. We want to work with students longitudinally for six to 36 months to help build really amazing opportunities. Um, As an example, most of our students are interested in some kind of internship, either with a corporation or a nonprofit organization or some sort of research group like you find at a university. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of students and parents come to us enthusiastic about making this happen. And while I think their efforts are directed towards the right goal, they often miss a really critical part of the process, which is preparing and getting ready for such a big opportunity. Mm-hmm. So. A big part of my job at Ivy Scholars is guiding parents and students on the right way to use our services, and today we can talk about how that applies to internships. Yeah, exactly. And today's episode is is a a super I call it I don't know super episode, a mega episode. Um, It's going to be a good one, but it's a it's a deep dive on how to get an internship that will actually help you get into college and how to build up your resume for right like a you know a top tier school like an ivy league school i mean it'll apply to everybody but it's especially you know these might be the things that are going to differentiate you for those types of schools because yeah i I think somebody i was talking to earlier today said like at least 50 percent of high school students have a 4.0 gpa now which is just kind of absurd to me like i i didn't have a 4.0 high school gpa and and i did fine so it's just like the the game has changed um and then, you know, even having like AP classes is kind of standard now and extracurriculars, sports, all the above, like it's just gotten so competitive and everybody's gotten on the same page on what works. So now everyone's doing what works. So one of the best things you can do to set yourself apart now is what you do with your summers, right? Or even during school, but most likely summers. So let's start with the background. Um, and you, the, first off, you guys help a hundred students a year with candidacy building. That's a ton, and so let's talk about really kind of like if if I'm a parent coming in, what are you? What's like the stage that you're setting or the expectations that you're setting around 
internships for their kids. The goal of Ivy Scholars is to produce great candidates, first for internships, mm-hmm. and then through those internships to build candidacy for top-tier universities. So mm-hmm. our first goal is making sure students are familiar with the field they're interested in, that they're comfortable talking to other adults in that field, that they've gotten their mm-hmm. feet wet and explored and developed a kind of vivacity and enthusiasm for the topic, so that by the time mm-hmm. we get to the stage of asking for an internship, which might take six to 12 months, um, it doesn't feel like we're asking anyone for a favor. It feels like we right. prepared uh, a young man or woman who's deeply passionate about a topic and gave them structure and guidance exploring something they're interested in so that by the time they ask, they're ready to be an asset to the organization they want to work with. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, like a key piece, right, uh, is, yes, a lot of people will call a favor in from a friend to get their kid an internship at a place, and that's fine, but that's not really what everyone has access to. Right. Not not to mention that, you know, a lot of times those internships are not that valuable. Right. Like you're just kind of doing like busy work around the office. Very true. So there's two quotes I like to use here. One of those I heard in the admissions office at Johns Hopkins University, and you'll hear it at a lot of top tier universities. It is the thicker the file, the thicker the student. Students who have lots of activities, but don't plan those activities around a specific narrative. Students whose parents call in favors to get great internships, but then end up doing mostly busy work, they don't do a great job camouflaging that in admissions offices. And generally, Mm -hmm. especially now in the competitive admissions marketplace, those students get weeded out and they end up in the reject pile despite their parents' best efforts. Mm -hmm. The second one you might be more familiar with, it's Goodhart's Law. When a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. In other words, when everyone hears you need a 4.0, you need a 1600 on the SAT. You need a great internship. Everybody tries for one, and what previously used to be good college admissions material ceases to be. Mm-hmm. My job at Ivy Scholars is to help students connect with the fundamental value an internship can deliver, demonstrating the student has intellectual vitality, that they're passionate, curious about a topic, that they have a sense of social good, that there's some cause they want to work towards that matters to them on a personal level beyond just performing well and being recognized for the performance. And that they have great teamwork skills, that they can take the lead, that they can demonstrate initiative, that they can be delegated to effectively, and that they can figure things out without someone holding their hand. When you demonstrate these elements right in an internship, um, you're, you're going for the real value that everyone's been talking about in an internship. Not the name brand, not a bullet point on a resume, but a demonstration of the character traits that top tier universities need in their student bodies. Right. And then I would even throw in one extra thing to in your considerations there, which is giving the student experience with the field that they're really interested in. That's a great point. And so many Ivy Scholar students will do internships in law or in oil and gas and quite a few in medicine and say, I'm so glad I did this. This is definitely not for me. This is not what I'm doing in college. And then we pivot right. and create a different kind of college application that's often truer and stronger because it's more real for their experience. Um, Mm -hmm. and lets them speak to an informed way about the struggles they went through and why they decided on taking a different tack. So the point you make is excellent, and I wish more people recognized that from day one. Yeah, well, and I mean, figuring out what you don't want to do is so important because, I mean, there's just, I know dozens of examples of people that really want to be an ex, and then they kind of get, they get into college, or in some cases, you know, like you said, medicine, like they'll even be in med school and they'll be like, yeah, I don't actually want to do this, right? Like it's, it's, that's, you've already spent a lot of your time and money 
an opportunity cost at that point, right? Because the biggest the biggest thing when you're young is opportunity cost. And it's hard to think about that until you get older and kind of look backwards. But like when when you take an internship or when you go to a college and have a major and you are basically dedicating your time and money and resources to that path, you know, there's a bunch of other paths that were possible that you just didn't look at, right? And it's not like you can live, if you live your whole life regretting your choices you made, that's not very healthy either, but you can definitely start to, you know, if you've got like, say, top three things, right? You're like, do I want to be a doctor, a lawyer, or work in oil and gas? Well, you could try those out and at least get some data on a, on one of them per year, right? And then also, if you do find your, your calling, that just makes it that much better for your admissions application because you have basically evidence and you have experience that you can call upon in your essays, etc. that's relevant to that. I think all of that's a wonderful point, and I want to add on to it with one more point mm -hmm. that's central to the internship side of Ivy Scholar's candidacy building, and in general, our candidacy building philosophy. Most of the time when students fail at accomplishing candidacy building goals, it's not because they're not smart enough. It's not even because they're not hardworking enough. It's because they are anxious over ambiguity. Internships are an opportunity to remove ambiguity. Uh, to get real-life lived experience that lets students make meaningful decisions. Mm -hmm. Students freeze up before internships and during internships when they don't know what opportunities are available to them or how to pursue them and they need guidance. The guidance contained within internships is what lets students uh, decide on a concrete level if they want to pursue that path or not. And our job at Ivy Scholars is giving students that kind of pre-internship guidance for all the skills they'll need from professional networking communication, to background research, to working their way into a field that gives them a structure and framework to work from so that they're, they don't feel like kids stuck on the outside trying to get in. Mm -hmm. Right. And so they feel like they belong when they're in the internship too. I think that's really important. So then I think that the, the next thing to talk about here is let's talk about how universities measure value in these internships right like i think that that was a really good point that you made in your preparation was there's not all internships are created equal when it comes to how the university looks at it and so all other things being equal you might as well optimize for an internship that's actually going to help you get in right um so you know i i would love to hear what you feel like the university lenses on these internships? Universities look for three qualities that make an applicant's internship attractive for mm -hmm. the university's undergraduate body. The first is called intellectual vitality. I believe Stanford coined this term in college admissions decades ago, but it's spread throughout the Northeast and most top 50 colleges in the U.S. A simple mm -hmm. definition of this is students who are curious and take initiative to pursue that curiosity. More specifically, Students need to be pursuing their curiosity outside a structured classroom environment. Students with intellectual vitality aren't just smart, they don't just do well when coloring within the lines, they understand what they're interested in and they seek it out and pursue it and achieve without someone holding their hand, without a program making it easy for them. Ivy Scholars exist in part to facilitate that kind of intellectual vitality. So students who are ready to start embracing that quality, but whose parents didn't go to school in the U.S. or who don't have programs in their local area that facilitate that, 
so that they get our guidance that that intellectual vitality gets to come out and be demonstrable to admissions offices. Second major quality is team skills. Quite a few admissions offices will phrase this as leadership, and that's another good way to put it, but it often sends parents and students the wrong impression. In general, internships are not times you want to try and be the leader. You're working with people more senior than you, benefiting from their experience. But Right, and also they'll probably not take too kindly to that anyway. You know what? I disagree. Um, okay. People don't want interns to come in and try and be their boss, but they love it when interns come in and show leadership in the sense that they innovate, that they try to look for better ways to do things, that they look for a way they can function in a team and take care of themselves and take care of, take care of other people. While interns shouldn't mm -hmm. try and use authority to guide or manage others, I think it is a great idea for interns to say, I'd like to take the lead on X, even if X is as small as making sure that the pot of coffee is hot. That is often sure. a first step to taking sure to make sure a document is formatted properly, and then to make sure that it's um, proofread well, and then to make sure it's fact-checked well, and before you know it, you've gotten somewhere. A lot of students are scared or maybe a little embarrassed to take ownership of really small things, but I think this is one of the healthiest habits, um, both when trying to function well in an internship and when trying to demonstrate your character traits to a university. Doing anything well and taking ownership of it, even if it's at a scale where it's not yet going to matter, is the start of a pattern that admissions offices need mm -hmm. to see, that when they give students the amazing opportunities at their campuses, students will run with those, not just color within the lines. Right. Got it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so where, from an internship, where do you see these qualities being evident in the, like, essentially, how do you get an internship or, or sell your internship in your essay to the university in a way that, like, gives them what they're looking for with these traits? The simple, pithy answer is that you try and become the kind of person the university wants to accept. The more complicated right. version of this starts with background research. I think the idea of doing a lot of background research and prep and development before taking on an internship can make students and parents nervous because everyone loves concrete, measurable deliverables, like do I have an acceptance letter from an institution that grants me an internship? But this often camouflages that the real value is being ready. So when Ivy Scholars tries to help students get ready for internships, before we ask anyone for any kind of commitment, We've already set up four to eight informational interviews and done 20 to 30 hours of background research. We start by talking to students about what they understand in the field and what got them interested in the field and their current impressions of it. And we try to take really detailed notes to make sure we understand our students' perspective because very often high school students don't have a complete image of what working in the field they want to intern at looks like. It's our right. job to understand where they start so that as we're doing background research together, going through everything from YouTube videos at first, there's some really great, fun, accessible channels that can help students get started with medicine, engineering, law, a lot of basic major topics, Right. to more advanced forms of background research. For example, we'll often have students attend professional development seminars. Um, mm -hmm. They'll get to network with people who are in the field and meet and hear a bit about how the field is discussed among adults and also have a chance to be among other people in the field who are adults without feeling like they stick out, without feeling like they are on the spot. Um, right. These are our nice intro steps to help them build comfort and familiarity. Yeah, and also, I mean, being around people in the field is so important from like a culture point of view, right? Like, uh, I've, I've had a narrow slice in a lot of ways of work in that I've worked primarily in tech marketing, right? But even within tech marketing, 
the difference between the uh, enter- enterprise resource planning industry, which I've worked in, and the video game industry, which I've also worked in, is like tremendous. And the types of people that work in those two industries are very different, right? And you talk about different things and they have different, like, you know, sometimes they're laid back, sometimes they're not. Like, all those things are going to help you figure out whether this is a field that you want to be in. And, you know, you don't want to say that just because the people at this one conference were kind of jerks that everybody's a jerk. But it it's definitely, like, good directional helpful things. Correct. To add on to that, previous experience also helps students update their paradigm and understand what it is they're really looking for. Most mm-hmm. students and parents come to Ivy Scholars looking for help getting into a top-tier university, and the idea behind that is that they want whatever accomplishments will facilitate that. My goal with students is to have them want the accomplishments for their own sake, that they really want yes. to, for example, have participated in um, a surgical procedure, or understand the complexities of supply chain management technology because they want those skills to make them better candidate in their future. You can't really find those problems from the outside. You need yeah. to be around people in the field to start knowing what goals you should have for yourself. Right. Well, and also like what do you, within your field, like you want to be understanding what your work is going to entail, right? Like in particular, the the first you know from when you're 22 and got out of college or maybe you're going through school and then it's later but from when you get out of college until sort of two or three years later like you're doing the shittiest work in your field roughly speaking right like you you will graduate out of it but like whatever is the least desirable thing or the most brute force like thing that you've got to do in whatever field is going to fall to you when you first leave right so you really got to enjoy it and be able to <laughs> and be able to get through that step to get on to the more fun interesting stuff that comes later. Um and I also think too that I mean really what you're what you're touching on here is something that has been repeated a few times on this podcast but I really like which is that college is not the end. College is really supposed to be another step to train you for your job which your career arguably is the end right like and then your career is basically like twice as long as your childhood right it's from 22 to 62 right so so it's really it's it's really like the i don't want to say finishing school that's more like graduate school but like undergraduate is really where you should be starting to think about what your career is going to be and you should be looking at your undergraduate college as from the lens of like this is a a step on my journey not that the only thing that matters is that i get into yale right and the competitiveness of these programs uh is is tremendous the stress on high school students is tremendous i actually think it's one of the great challenges in the modern generation of teens is communicating to their parents just how different their experience is going to be from people who grew up in the 60s to the 90s who mm-hmm. didn't have the kind of cutthroat college admissions environment these kids now have to deal with. I love being a counterbalancing voice to say, yes, college admissions is really tough and we've got to think about it strategically, but you start and finish with the qualities that matter most. Your ability to add value to to a university and the way your education can make you a better contributor to whatever team you join in the future. Right. 
Yeah, and so internships tie into that really, really closely because we're talking about bringing value to a job, <laughs> which is the point of college in a way, is to improve that value as well. So let's let's look at the search process now. So, I mean, just like talking about sort of the be- the beginning of this process, you mentioned that a lot of these searches fail due to anxiety. Can you expand on that and why that is? Teenagers are scared to ask adults they don't know for favors or support. They worry they'll be seen as um, maybe a bit greedy or entitled to ask for something that they don't really deserve. And it is generally a perception that interns are going to add the least value to the company and take the most time away from the people who are doing the real work. And this is a pretty rough uh, feeling for anyone to have in their job, let alone a 16 or 17 year old working with adults for the first time in a setting vastly different than their normal high school experience. Right. So there's there's two ways I like to, let's talk about the process for starting to address this. The first is to, to sure. get a sense of knowing what you're talking about. I like to help students approach the field both academically and interpersonally. So on an academic mm-hmm. side, when students are interested in say aerospace engineering or medicine, there's lots of great resources to start learning about the principles behind those fields. But mm-hmm. students aren't going to be able to master those principles within the span of the, say, six to 18 months we've got for the candidate signaling project. There's no point mm-hmm. trying to make a doctor at 17. It's not realistic. Yeah, yeah. What we want to do instead is have students who are comfortable talking about these topics, who've learned enough to be curious and to let their natural enthusiasm shine forward. We generally get that, and when we don't, it's a great sign that we want to pivot, because if you start learning about a project you thought you wanted to intern in, and you're not very curious about it or enthusiastic about it, um, lots of teens feel like that's a failing on their part, but it's not. It's a signal that you should take seriously, that you've looked into something deeply enough and it's time to move on to a greener pasture. Mm-hmm. I think lots of kids are scared that if they don't follow the plan precisely as they or their parents have envisioned it, things will collapse. And the point of I Well, especially I would imagine like a lot, there are some parents out there that also have that point of view. That's true. So something um, that's been true for me, it's true for a lot of Ivy Scholar students. My parents, my dad came from an Asian country in which you take one test and that determines what university you go to, which determines what kind of job you can have. And that's a very one-dimensional, streamlined kind of educational process we don't have in the States. Um, One of the great features of American education is the incredible flexibility and breadth of opportunity that's just not available in, for example, India or China. my dad, when I was going through the undergraduate admissions process, put a lot of pressure on me to come up with good answers fast. And I felt like I was struggling to give him the answers he wanted from me. And I see this um, trend repeated in students who are diligent, smart, hardworking kids whose parents want quick answers so they can feel secure that they've locked down a prosperous career for their child who's going to be okay um, materially for the, the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. I don't think this process works in the United States. I think a much better process is to build great candidates, help them get into great schools, and make sure they have a platform that lets them launch a career that might not be obvious from the outset, but will end up being more rewarding than a one-dimensional approach. Right. Well, and it's a a pivotable platform, because I think that the other thing that America offers in general is choice, right? Like, I mean, you go to the grocery store, there's like 16 different types of soda water let alone you know everything else and and so (laughs) i feel like a lot of american like something that's maybe a disconnect between like a first and a second generation 
um, American is like the the second generation American has grown up with the idea that they can choose whatever they want at any time, right? Which will also be present when they're thinking about what job they want, right? So you don't you don't prepare from the age of twelve to like be a doctor, like you're kind of like eh, I don't know, like my parents want me to be a doctor, but like I'll I mean it's kind of cool, I'll check it out, but like at the last minute they could make a different decision. So you need to be creating a great sort of platform from which to make that decision is that like a fair way of putting it i think that's great i think uh a deeper emphasis on informed decision making and less of an emphasis on immediate accomplishment is critical Mm -hmm. to help teens succeed in the internship process especially for top tier college admission right and so then once or sorry uh, you look like you have another comment Oh, no. Well, I want to I want to launch into that kind of flexibility because I think our listeners yeah. might want some examples. So here's one that happened uh, in 2018 for us. We had a student interested in aerospace engineering. And one of the right. complications he faced was he wasn't an American citizen. His parents weren't American citizens. And most American companies involved in aerospace engineering were reluctant to, to work with someone who was a foreign national for political reasons. Um, yeah. But he loved well. it. And... It's tragic to tell a kid, oh, um, I understand you like this field, but you were born in the wrong country, so you're out of luck. So yeah. we, we got creative. Um, we started looking into volunteering at local aerospace museums. There was one in the southeast Houston that was more than happy to have a, a volunteer who was really passionate about the history there. And in doing so, the student got to talk to a lot of pilots and a lot of engineers and uh, a few administrators of these programs, both from corporate side and government sides. At the end of this um, internship at the museum, which was, I think, uh, seen as sort of our last choice at the beginning of the engagement, the student had benefited tremendously from the experience, the people he got to talk to, that he was immersed in the culture of the field. And he was able to get an internship at a company providing parts and support services to aircraft manufacturers because we were able to write the most star-spangled, awesome cover letter I have ever seen from a 17-year-old about his interest in, in private aircraft. Right. Yeah, and it just takes you getting in the door in any way to really, like, get that ball rolling, right? Like, and and that is so hard for a lot of people, but I love that story because it also shows, like, you need a little tenacity if you are passionate about something and you want an internship in it, and you want that internship to really be productive, right? And it's not just, I think, the tenacity in getting the internship, but even during it as well, like still being hungry to like learn more and, and find new opportunities and meet new people. Um, so then let's, let's also talk about skill development within internships. Um, so how do you, when you're, when you're looking for internships, you want to make sure that that internship looks good to a college and might, and that it, it helps you in your potential future career prospects, right? Which are two things that we've covered so far. But then the third part is skill development and, you know, building that platform for having a good set of skills in the field that you're interested in or just in general. So how do you how do you approach that? Two prongs to this approach. At first, Mm -hmm. lead with the skills you've got. Very often, students want to go into fields that they're not yet qualified for. Uh, Professional fields like medicine, law, engineering are too regulated. It's not realistic to expect students to build those kind of skills at their age. But I'd like to ask my students, what about running social media? What about doing outreach? What about cold calling? What about writing blogs? What about web design? What about helping with Excel or programming? What can you do that's a genuine skill you know how to do that can contribute to the organization immediately to start? 
Mm-hmm. I love it when we can write to organizations and say, I'd like to take 10 hours of your clerk's time off your plate. I'd like to help you automate this process. I looked at your marketing outreach material, and here's a list of suggestions and ways I think I can help you improve it. The ability to demonstrate value quickly, concretely, and immediately makes you feel like you're asking for a favor less and offering to help more. And that's the beginning of a really good relationship. That also gives you the chance to develop the kind of skills students really want to develop. Um, I found when students get into these um, administrative roles that some would consider busy work, kind of the boring grunt work, they get to see what it looks like when plans within the organizations are developed and followed, or how groups within the organizations communicate and what's necessary to facilitate that communication proceeding effectively, or how the organization analyzes information and then puts that information to usable formats. And these are amazing places to start when you want to develop a great skill to be competent and useful within the organization. Uh, one example, we had a student who was interested in working with the Emily Shane Foundation, which does uh, free online tutoring for underprivileged children. Um, mm-hmm. At first, she was just involved in doing tutoring directly, but she had a good amount of programming experience with Python and Java um, and saw some issues with the web platform as well as the way data was stored. She ended up expanding the scope of her internship from something that was um, pretty plug-and-play, show up, help some students yeah, be with a math, exactly, yeah. to something that was really brilliant and innovative where she built a better data storage system and then helped them do more effective outreach based on making better decisions from understanding more about the people who are looking at their material and then added their bottom line when fundraising came around a year later. Uh, that moved the needle on her college application tremendously. And though I think she would have been a strong Ivy League candidate without it, I think it really sealed the deal. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to hire that person just hearing that, right? Like, I think it's 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 the the thing that is so rare. And I think it's I think it's less rare when you're young, but I think it's it gets rarer the, the more that you get into the, the corporate world is someone sees something and they go, that's not quite right. I think I could improve this, right? And it's interesting because as you get older and older, you actually get to be like, that's not quite right. It's probably Bob and marketing's fault. I'm not going to worry about it, right? Like it's it's just like people people lose that like that sort of hunger to help. And I think that it, when you, that's your biggest asset when you're an intern and you also probably you know a little bit like about the right way to do things on a tech side a lot of the time, right? And depending on where you're working, they might not, or they might just be a little behind on the times in that regard. This is true, and it's a very fair trend and generalization to make. Um, Often teens are going to be better with technology and see different uses of technology and ways to reach people with technology than the 40, 50, 60, 70 year olds who are in charge of major projects who have their hands full with other stuff. And when kids can bring in a fresh perspective and then talk about how to implement that perspective, um, they can unlock tremendous gratitude and resources within the organization um, and be a part of something much bigger than themselves changing. And I think these are the most rewarding moments for me in the candidacy building process is seeing students who are worried at first about seeming arrogant or entitled wanting to suggest a change having done their background research and prepared a good proposal and talked about implementation and thought through the problems that change inevitably brings and humbly approaching the people they work for with an idea to make everyone's life better. Because sometimes they get a yes, and that's just magic, man. Yeah, and it's it's the key to that, though, like you said, is like, do your research, 
make sure you got kind of an airtight case and then be really humble about it. And I think that that will work. Right. And I also think that, I mean, even in, even me and my, it's not even just like, Oh, it's like if you're over 40 and, and you just have, you know, you didn't grow up with the internet, even our generation now, you know, we're in our thirties now, I still don't really know how to do like TikTok and that kind of like, you know, like, I would call it informal like video and content creation in a way that's like really authentic and, and, and engaging and cap and captures people's attention. Like there's always something right. Um, and it also could just be something that maybe the business, like they know that their email outreach to people that have signed up in their database is not really sufficient, but you know, it's not super, maybe it's not super high priority for them. Right. So it's like, you're just offering to do something that they have had on their to-do list for a long time and just haven't ever gotten around to. And that's really valuable too, right? I mean, that's also another place to look to add value is you could go to your boss and be like, what's something that's like in your backlog that's been in your backlog forever that I could help you with? This is one of the things we specifically train our students to do is oh, when cool. they start doing background research, we look for sort of persistent issues in the field. Um, billing software is a big complaint for a lot of attorneys, is that there's always little particulars around exactly how time is logged that require a right. lot of finicky manual attention. Um, it's our job to help our students be aware of these so that as they're starting their internship in the first six months, they're soaking up the culture of the field and getting to work with people. They're sensitive to what's not working for the people they're working with. And they start, the wheel starts turning uh, for them on how they could make a change that everybody wants, but nobody's yet got time to do. Yeah. And I think that's actually a really nice segue to go into sort of the research discussion, right? I think we can come back to kind of getting the internship. Um, but I think the the research portion of just like figuring out how, like what the problems are with the companies that that are in the field that you want to work in you know, researching the companies themselves, figuring out what, you know, where you want to work and why. I think that's all really interesting stuff. So let's let's jump into the research portion, if that sounds good with you. Sounds great. I love to start on Google. Um, I yeah. like to search for general terms and then make a list of companies and then start uh, attributing categories to them. So um, we want to look for companies in general that have a sense of social ethics and social responsibility they're often more willing to work with teens and they've got a more inspiring mission and there's um, something for teens to join, especially when the bottom line isn't about conserving every last cent, but is about sending a message and doing things right or making a positive change in the world. There's often room right. for people to join in ways that, that might not have been planned originally, but can really help. Ways are a little more flexible than say a major corporation in which internship programs are often more strictly defined. Yeah, and internship programs in major corporations, I feel like are more for college students, not high school students. Because there are like sometimes little legal, legal kind of, it's like a gray area to hire somebody under 18 from what I understand. Um, I mean, it just depends a lot on what state you're in and what field you're in and what they're doing. Uh, maybe, I'm, maybe that's misguided and you can correct me on that, but I... I I think that, you know, generally speaking, smaller organizations or organizations that don't have super strict internship programs are going to be a better target for those reasons. 
that's a fair generalization. Two things to add on. One, Ivy scholars have had students who wanted to and did intern at places like Google and Microsoft. And what makes the biggest wow. difference in a high school student getting internships that normally go to college students is specificity of approach. So mm. while you might apply through the general program, you are still treating this like a personal relationship you are building. You are reaching out to a lot of people who work there. You are interviewing them about their jobs for 10 to 30 minutes, learning about the challenges right. they face, their workflow, how they communicate with their peers. You're looking for specific problems the, the company's been working on for a while, and you're looking at evidence of how other interns in the past filled those roles, especially what's new in their corporate publication materials, like in the newsletters they send out or the speeches given by leadership. You want to hear what's on the mind of the company, what they're enthusiastic and passionate about. When you do your background research like that, whether you're talking about a giant company like Microsoft or a tiny 10-person company that's purely local, the person you approach is going to respect that you tried to take the time to figure out what their work environment's like, and they're going to be willing to think about how you might fit into it. Well, and I, I love your tactic, and, and maybe this is, I, I think maybe this goes in the actually asking for the internship portion, right, that we're going to talk about later, but it's like the... The tactic of asking someone who's in a job that you want, hey, I am just like a high school or college student and I really want to just like ask you about your life and learn a little bit and I don't have an agenda. Um, that is really special. It surprises me that it doesn't happen more often, right? And maybe I just don't get those messages. But I think that in general, like almost every time someone's done that, I've said yes. And I know a lot of other people that are like that too. And it'll give you access to people that, you know, post-college will be really hard to get access to, right? Like if you're 23, 24 and you're emailing some guy in your field and saying, hey, I want to I wanna chat with you about your life, they know that you want a job, right? And and so they, and they're like, ah, I'm busy. But if you're a, if you're a high school kid, they know that you're a high school kid and they know that like you're going to be able to get a lot of value from talking to them. So I just love that tactic. Sorry. Just like a two minute tangent about how much I thought that was a good idea. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, um, the other thing that I think is great is it, uh, it gets the wiggles out. It desensitizes students to some of their anxiety because it's yeah, very yeah. easy when you're coming from a high school setting and most of the adults you work with are authority figures, they're teachers, they've got a degree of control over you that's a different sort of relationship than uh, teens and internship providers in the workplace. Mm -hmm. um, it's easy to think that it's more important to be um, modest, fair, and unobtrusive. Mm -hmm. And those are not the best qualities for Ivy League candidates. Um, the students right. and the, the character qualities we try and encourage in students is to be endlessly social and extroverted and curious and to keep following up on that and listen to everyone because that's how you start getting somewhere where you've um, eventually got something worth saying. Right. And humble. Stay humble also. I would throw that in there. But I really, I really like the, uh, the approach. So then when – so you start your research – I also, you have a note here about, so let's say you, you've got, you know, 10 companies in your field. Let's say you want to do astro, uh, you know, aerospace engineering. You look up, so 10 biggest companies. You also maybe, let's say, do 10 companies in your local area and like five nonprofits in your local area. So you got your list. This is like your target list now. So how do you develop your research for the companies on that list? And then based off that research, how do you make decisions on where you want to work? So the best way to start 
is with your impression to define your current understanding before you start trying to build out things that are going to be objectively or strategically useful. The reason for this is that most students aren't well equipped to understand fields when they first enter the Ivy Scholars Candidacy Building Program. So our first step is to write a paragraph or two on the five nonprofits and the big companies and the small companies and get a sense of what we think they're doing, how a student might fit into them, what the problem they're solving is, and what working there is like. Um, once we build out a basic understanding, we think we know what we're talking about. I like to reach out to people from these companies. I often start with either um, the people who manage PR, outreach, marketing, or people mm -hmm. who are in charge of connecting, like administrative assistants, who are often really tickled pink to um, have high school students reach out to them and are really happy to talk about their field. They're also great right. connectors to other people within the company who can help students get a lay of the land. Right, and it's better to go in that way than to like message those people directly, right? That's true. Um, most people who are working in, um, in higher stress positions still want to help high school students, but feel like they have less personal bandwidth to do that. If you make right. it easier for them to help you by contacting the people that they've hired to help them do their job better, they'll be enthused that you're already fitting into the system they built, and that's one more green flag when eventually you do ask to become a part of the team. Right. But Got way it. before that request happens, what you're doing is becoming a part of the culture. You get to talk to current employees about their average workday, about what their educational process was like to reach the, um, the job they have now, and about the challenges they face in their job and what change they want to make in the world. Once you've done this for a few different organizations, I'd like to go back to students' initial first impressions and contrast them to the dose of reality we got talking with the people who actually work in these places. Very often, right. we find both students and mentors that um, we took a very broad view early on, and in fact, the challenges we're dealing with are different than we thought. And that's great, because now we know when we do our next stage of research, we're researching the right stuff. So that by the time right. we come back for another round of informational interviews, people start remembering the student. And they start saying, oh, wow, yeah, you talked to my colleague four months ago. And they'll, um, our, our students sometimes become known within the, the Houston area because they're calling a lot of the same companies. And it's, it's wonderful to hear from some of these people about how well-informed these kids are, not because they're geniuses or because they were born knowing all of this, but because they took the time to talk to people, take notes, study up, have a second conversation based on those notes, and then come out with real, useful, informed perspective and information. Right. So you want to be building that performed in, uh, informed perspective, excuse me. You want to be building that informed perspective and then... I think from that point on, you know, you're pretty much, you're teed up. You probably have had good conversations with people. You're teed up to actually ask, right? And then um, let's, before we get to that part, I do think it's important to also cover the other types of companies that you research, right? You've got kind of two here, nonprofits and third parties. And so, yeah, with nonprofits, it's a little bit different of a process. Correct. I'm explaining that. Yeah. Nonprofits have smaller budgets. They need free labor more. They are generally uh, more understaffed and more open to adding people to the team, but they're also more sensitive about ideological alignment. Um, right. When we're helping our students with nonprofits, the, the research process comes first. And then after that, I love to get students volunteering in anything, even remotely related to nonprofit. Um, 
because we live in Houston, which is a big oil and gas hub, lots of our students who are interested in engineering end up volunteering at Exxon, Chevron, Schlumberger, um, what have you, uh, fundraisers or um, drives for people with illnesses like multiple sclerosis or cancer, um, just to create social good and show that the student is committed. And uh, again, because we're in Houston, Texas, if you've ever done a fun run in July in Houston, that takes a good degree of grit. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the heat and humidity are no joke, but our students um, go through the pain and discomfort and that confirms to the people who are there those moments that they're willing to put the work in. So by the time they're circling back to someone a few months later, they'll often ask someone they volunteered with to just write a quick note saying that they were involved and they appreciated their efforts. Very often they were the ones who perhaps brought in water or snacks or stayed late to help clean up. The little things that show that you will put your heart and soul into the work. And then we've got one more green flag when the time comes to ask someone to trust us. Right. And then also, in addition to that, I think that um, when you're, if even if you're not volunteering directly for the nonprofit that you want to work for initially, they, they all know each other. There's not that many nonprofits about a specific industry or topic in a specific city. There's just not. Like, maybe there's, maybe like there's some intersection where there's like, 20 finance industry nonprofits in New York City or something. But like for the most part, there's a, a really small, it's a small community. They all know each other. And even if they don't know each other super well, if you're like, oh, I volunteered here, they're like, oh yeah, we know them or we've heard of them. And so it gives you credibility. Right. The and same foot in the door phenomena, legitimation. Right. And then also on the research side, you you have a note here about researching where these nonprofits are getting their grants from. Can you tell me more about why you think that's important for the students to understand? Most sources of funding for nonprofits are publicly available, unlike private corporations that generally keep their books closed. So it's wonderful to know where, um, where nonprofits are getting their money from because it tells you what their motives are and it tells you what hoops they need to jump through, what benchmarks they need to meet, and what time frame they've got to, to do those in, which means you've got a sense of the real mission, not just what's said on the website, which is often a great description of a vision, but not a good description of what it's going to be like to work there in the next six months. You right. get to know the problems they're dealing with, the stresses they're under, and what their bottom line is as members of an organization that wants to do good but needs practically to achieve certain measurable things within the next six months. And that lets you come on as a realistic member of the team. This is something a lot of nonprofits I found are sensitive to. They love students that are passionate, but they also need students who can realistically do something beyond advocating or hoping or wishing. And that's where knowing what the real job comes in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and not only knowing what the real job is, but what you're like having a plan for what you're going to do while you're there. And that plan is important kind of in both directions. It's important for you going in so that you know what you're going to be working on and important for the employer um, because they'll know what value you add. But then it's also the value you're getting out of it is being able to then communicate that in your college application, right? So you want to you want to be thinking about how is like I know it's like a little I don't know if this is like <laughs> the right way of putting it but it's helpful to think about how this is going to fit into your essay while you're even trying to tee yourself up for what work you're going to be doing within the organization. I think you make a good point and I'm biased coming from Ivy Scholars which is a company of experts but it's my opinion that's too much to put on a teenager's shoulders. 
I mean, it's just so yeah. much. They've got high school and probably a bunch of AP or IB level classes, and then they've got SATs, and then they've got their social and family life. And then on top of that, you're asking them to project their understanding of the field that's still developing years and maybe months to years in the future for another major process, which is probably the scariest thing you do in the first 18 years of your life as an American student. Right. Um, I, I see that as our job. And Ivy Scholars okay. has a lot of resources, uh, which are free to the public, uh, which I'll, I'll link at the end of this, about how to how parents can think about college admission strategy for students so that students can right. have to take less of that mental and emotional load. Yeah. And I think that's I mean, I, I'm glad that you uh, I'm glad that you said that and contradicted me on that, because I think that that's also the kind of thing that feels like something you do naturally as an adult. But that's just because you're used to resume building as kind of part of your life. Um, so great. And then I think then on the research side, I feel pretty good. I feel like we've given people a good roadmap for how to research job opportunity and try to like, and you don't need to boil the ocean and you don't need to know what your five-year plan is in order to just like get an internship now in a field that you're interested in, that you're going to be a productive member of. So then now that we feel like we know what we want, how do we get it? How do we, and there's sort of accessing your network to get an internship, and then there's just like asking based off of all the work you've done so far. So I don't know which one of those you want to jump into first. I'll take the latter. And instead of asking, yeah. I use the word offering, because I like the okay. idea that our students aren't just looking for a favor. They are looking to contribute, and they sincerely, diligently will put their 100% into making that happen. Mm-hmm. The anxiety of this process is what stops a lot of students from succeeding. And when parents come to me who've tried to help their kids get internships uh, solo, often parents have asked for a favor through their network. Um, the challenge is often that, that students have trouble really flourishing within an opportunity they feel they didn't earn. It's my goal by the time every Ivy Scholar student says, I'd like to work with you, that they feel they deserve it and they genuinely believe they can do something great. Uh, one of our right. students from uh, the last six months wanted to work at a law firm in Houston, but she w- we, we were practicing how to ask for that uh, based on the research we'd done. And after two or three attempts, she, she slowed us down and said, no, you know, I just don't feel comfortable. I don't feel ready. And we had college admissions coming up in another six months, so we had some time pressure too, but I think we made a really good decision respecting the students' feelings and pivoting to instead write a white paper, which was on a legal issue that affected immigration, especially with relation to natural disasters in the Houston and South Texas area. Uh, She interviewed a a bunch of people who had been through some really tough times over the last six months and told their stories and then created some basic useful data and analysis of what that was like. And then by the time we circled back to the law firm about two months after that white paper was written, we were able to say, it's not that this young woman wants to intern at a law firm. This young woman is determined to, to help these people who had to flee their country, to help them settle in comfortably to a new life and be treated with the justice and fairness and dignity they deserve. Here's her efforts so far. Now, here's what you're doing to make that happen. Could she please be a part of that? And right. they were thrilled to have her on the team. Yeah, I mean, I would be thrilled. I think also that white paper is something that goes really well in your college application. Like, not only... Can you get it published, which they could just read it anyway? And that's like a sample of your work, which colleges don't normally get to see. So they'd probably be excited about that. But then also just the fact that you did it at all is really impressive. 
So, yeah, that's very cool. Well, so then we've kind of got this final section here about asking for an internship. And there's a lot of like little tactical tips, right? And so I'd love to go through that, right? So let's say, you know, you don't want to write a white paper, but you are nervous, but you probably, you know, for whatever reason, this is the time to ask, right? Like, <laughs> it's not like that, that you have time to do more research to make yourself feel less nervous, or you're just a nervous person. So how do you set yourself up for success day of when you want to ask for the internship, or as you say, sorry, offer your services to this company for an internship? The best answer is that you feel like you've done it so many times before in all the practice that it's old hat. I like to practice with students five to 10 times uh, and we'll go over all the possible responses someone might have, even the silly ones of who are you and why do you think you should be able to work here? Get out of my office. Um, and it's right. good. It, it builds some laughs. It, it breaks the tension. And it also gives students a sense that they are ready for whatever eventuality comes. Building yeah. that feeling is important because people often have to say no for reasons that have nothing to do with student qualifications. I think only about 25% of the organizations we reach out to are in a good position to take an intern. Many of them can't for reasons that have nothing to do with the student. Helping the students yeah. see that as a piece of a process, you know, one down, 15 more to go, and not as an individual failure is really key to maintaining the momentum because I think especially if you're a successful high school student, you're used to getting between 90 and 100% of what you do, right? You get A's. And that yeah. is not possible in the adult world. It's certainly not possible when you're trying to do partnerships. Reframing that paradigm is pretty critical. Now, there's another side of this, which is just about pure production values. Being dressed sharply, being well-rested, coming early, speaking slowly, breathing deeply, looking people in the eye, having a good handshake, smiling, being polite to everyone you meet, even if you're not sure what their role is or where they fit in on the team, and having all your details prepared. When are you available? When can you start? What skills specifically? What specifically about this company do you know, and are you ready to talk about it? Have you printed out a copy of your resume? Do you have it with you? I think parents are often ready to help their students understand these little production values, but it's difficult for students to take them from their parents because a lot of teens get sensitive about their parents managing their appearance and how they come off. Teens want to build a separate professional identity from their parents, even if they want to go into similar fields, have similar skill sets. They want to feel like they're um, not just an instrument for someone else to present, but they're agents with their own choices and personality. Helping right. kids find themselves in these production values, having them walk through slowly, diligently, and making sure that they're comfortable with the polish they put on themselves is what gives that kind of intangible confidence. Right. Yeah, and I think I think it's that's a really good point. It's important to frame these things not as like you need it's a job interview. You need to look nice because it's a job interview, which is I think like kind of the conversation that a lot of parents have with their kids. They're just like, I mean, obviously you need to look nice. Like, are you kidding me? No, it's 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 important to talk about like why. So, what are all these things that you just listed actually show me as a someone who's hiring people, right? Like, what shows me one that you're taking the job seriously, right? That this that and that you will take your ongoing continued work with us seriously if someone shows up to the interview and they're sloppy they're sloppy all the time right because this is when you're supposed to be not sloppy uh, part two is that 
you know, the little details, things like, did you print your resume? Like, does your resume have your email on it? Is it formatted reasonably well? Are there typos? Like, it, is it going to sink you if you have a typo or if the one day you show up, you forget your resume? Like, no, it shouldn't. But at the same time, it just shows that you're, you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's, right? And those are the things that matter a lot, I think, for particularly when you're hiring an intern. It's funny you bring that up. Um, I had a, a student come to us, they'd been applying to internships before, and I was looking over the student's resume and there were two typos on there. Um, and I thought to myself, this student doesn't want to present themselves like this, but they aren't showing that they believe in the standards that other people want to see they have. And that's why they're not yeah. receiving the trust they want to receive. If you send a signal that you are willing to hold yourself to a really high standard and that you're not going to take it easy on yourself just because that might be more pleasant at the moment, people will trust that. That's an asset in any line of work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's you, you, you verbalized it perfectly because I'm just thinking back to when I was that age. It's, it's the idea that, ah, these rules are stupid, right? Like, or roughly speaking. And I, and the thing is that, like, yeah, like, the rules can be stupid. And frankly, that's part of getting a job is you get to sign up for whatever the rules are of that organization, right? And, like, that is an that is a, a trade-off and a thing you have to think about when you're looking at jobs. But it's also, like, there are very few organizations, particularly, you know, outside of tech, that are, like, rule-less, or super duper casual you know like most of them have some level of formality and seriousness in the way that they work i agree and i found even in tech when our students do tech internships while um the san francisco-esque culture might approve of say t-shirts and shorts for a job interview you were still expected to know your stuff even if they yeah. relax sartorial guidelines holding yourself to a high standard is valuable everywhere because it shows you care about the work yeah yeah and frankly i mean even even in tech, I think in it, like people still show up to in, to interviews in like button up shirts. You know, they might be business casual instead of like business formal, but you know, it's definitely not like you just roll in in your in your like uh, Monster Hunter T shirt like I've got on here <laughs> or something like that. But no one can see me, so it's okay for me to do that. <laughs> I don't want audio. What I like to tell students is that none of these rules individually. Uh, are important. They don't really matter, right? The quality of your clothing will not affect your work. What you're doing is sending signals to people. Just like when you shake someone's hand, um, you're trying to show them that you are giving them your attention and taking them seriously and this matters to you. Mm -hmm. And whatever cultural ritual facilitates that is worth it because it's a chance for you to do what you really care about. Yeah. And, and one more thing on this topic just to touch on is like for, for the love of all things, holy and otherwise, get there early plan to be absurdly early plan to be there 30 minutes before the internship starts so that if you're late you're there 15 minutes before the internship starts like being late to an internship is kind of the kiss of death like i'd lo i've lost a couple internships that way one of which was totally not my fault um the bus that i needed to take to downtown pittsburgh like blew its tire and there was no following bus for 20 minutes but I was still late and that was all they thought about and I didn't get it, right? Like it's it's really like you got to be like thinking ahead and planning ahead and building in buffer time. 
And this is just a good skill in general, but, but it is, again, it goes back to the signaling. Like if you're at a company and you're hiring an intern and the intern is late, that means that they are going to be late with a lot of other stuff during the internship, or that's what you're afraid of. Right. And if there's anything that you can, uh, if there's anything that you can do as an intern, it's do your work and do it in on time, basically. So if you fail that right out the gate, it's not good. <laughs> this is where I feel parents can add the most value. A lot of parents yeah. really want to be involved in their child's college application process, which is lovely because it's a huge challenge for teens to give an account of their identity and why they deserve a great education that lets them move on to another stage in life. I think on a philosophical level, it's quite profound. But most parents don't get to play much of a central part in it at all. But facilitating yeah. logistics, like helping make sure your child gets a good night's sleep, gets a good breakfast, and gets there early, um, those are some of the most critical things parents can do. And while I don't think they get lauded in the admissions process enough, they're sort of the unsung heroes of making sure that the really smart teens we work with get to present themselves as well as possible to the opportunities we find. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that and that is just like a life skill too, to just figure out how to build buffer time and be early. And then the last thing you have a note on here that I see is talking about building an outline for your interview, right? Um, and also just like kind of it's an outline for your internship, right? So can you tell me a little bit more about what you recommend for that? I think anytime you want to start a relationship with someone, whether mm-hmm. you're working somewhere as an intern or joining a college campus as an undergraduate student, you want to understand the other person you're talking to, what they want out of you, and the kind of relationship you can offer them. So when students are preparing for their internship, I like to write down the answer to some basic questions. Uh, No college essay type prose. We're not trying to be T.S. Eliot or James Joyce here. We just want to answer some straightforward questions. What are you interested in? What problem does this organization address? What kind of work is this? How are you going to use your skills to make the world a better place through this organization? In parallel, for, um, for undergraduate applications, it's critical for all students to ask themselves, what are you going to add to the school's undergraduate body? How would they be better off for having you there than not? If we substituted you with someone who had the same grades, the same SAT scores, a similar resume, but just went to his or her room in the library and studied and went to class, and that's it, what does the university lose? And the answer's got to be something so amazing that the admissions officer's got to pick you. Right. Got it. That makes a ton of sense. Any closing thoughts on this? Yeah. Internships are amazing. They're one piece in the constellation that makes up a great college application. And that constellation has to have other components like great supplemental letters of recommendation that come from the internship, great college essay topics that talk about the internship, and then a cool narrative that underlies it all, telling the story of why the student bothered to take so much time away from TikTok or video games or hanging out with their friends, to do something that was tough and anxiety-provoking and at times boring. Mm -hmm. Building that kind of story and then being able to put all the elements together, I think is just like writing a great novel or shooting a great short film. It's about presenting this wonderful picture of a young person evolving into someone who's going to be an amazing fit for an undergraduate campus and who one day can make the world a better place. Right. And that's exactly what the universities want. They want someone who's got that part of, got the mission and the drive figured out at, at the very least.
maybe it's not exactly the mission that they'll eventually end up doing, but just like the fact that they have a mission, I think means a lot. Yeah, it is always better to have started. Mm-hmm. And to be driven, for sure. All right. Good luck out there, students. This has been Shift, College Admissions Podcast for a Changing World, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Sasha Chata from Ivy Scholars. Achievable has a great ACT course, and you can get a free trial of it at achievable.me and use the code podcast to get 10% off at checkout.